All right. Well, here we are. Season one, episode one, point five. I'm James. Amber. Kenton. Uh, my name is James. I was a sergeant uh, at the sheriff's department on night shift for about eight or nine years. Before that, I was corporal, deputy, evening shift, night shift. I never worked day shift, thank God. And um, left and started a winery. Still hold a reserve commission. Do not reserve anything. The end. The end. Okay, so I'm Amber. I've been with the sheriff's office for 15 years. Started as a jailer, almost two years. Patrol four, detective, property crime. Two, back to patrol, because I hated being a detective. Two more years on patrol. On your own? All by myself. And then now I work in uh, transport, taking the inmates to court, um, occasionally pick it up on warrants, things like that. So easy, easy spot. Good can, for folks my You age. can still call them inmates, or have they come out with a more... <clears throat> we call them guests. Guests? Sometimes. Guests. Yeah. <laughs> Customers. Customers. <laughs> I'm Kenton. I... Served 21 years at the sheriff's office, the last 10, I think, maybe a little bit more. I was a sergeant, mostly night shift. Uh, started a, a land clearing business before I left, and when I was decided I was good to go, I retired from the sheriff's office, and here I am. Sweet. Well, we've got a lot of experience between us, different experiences. Um, Kenton Pyre military, Amber being a female in law enforcement, certainly a little different experience than what we have. And, and was day shift. And you were day shift as well. For a little while. <clears throat> With all of the coffee that you want. Yes. Most of the time. So but, you, uh, you were on day shift with four years of patrol experience? The first four years I was evenings. And then when I went back, um, back I was day shift back when we started the 12 hours. <clears throat> so at 6 a.m., I found that family violence was... Why? At 6 a.m.? Yeah. 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 Mm. Well, you got the whole day ahead of you could leave and not, you know, work things out over the phone, right? Well, my thing is, like, if you're still mad, then just look at him in a way that lets him know it's not over. Why do we have to? Usually the problem was that they were separated the night before. Oh, and okay. somebody came home to get their stuff to right. go to work, and it started up again. There you go. So, so so it's our fault. Before I'd had all the coffee I wanted sometimes. Before. Without all the coffee that you wanted. Yes, yeah. yes. Well, we, um, we're we all good friends. We've known each other for a while. We never we just figured out that uh, Kenton and I worked together in different districts at the same time, but we never I never worked with you, and he never worked with you directly. I mean, we, we've known each other and been friends, but this is really the first collaboration that in any of the with the three of us. Mm-hmm. So this is pretty cool. We tried this. Last week, Weird. it carried on for about an hour and a half. It was a lot of catch up. It was a lot of uh, venting, I guess we can say. Well, I've always liked Amber, but I, I really fell in love with Amber when I saw the photo of her in a classroom. And you've made that exact face before. <laughs> yes, and I, I felt that pain, and I wasn't even there. And I'm sure law enforcement training mm. will definitely be one of our topics one day too. And the uh, we can make an exciting subject. Horrible. Yes. 
the training people, yes, they absolutely we, can. Yeah. You, you see the class name, the name of the class, and you think, man, I'm going to sign up for that. And then you regret it about 30 minutes into the class. But a lot of times it's the person delivering the message. That's true as well. But I think when we're going to talk about advising the public on good locks for the doors of their home, I mean, if you start with the ancient Greeks, I feel like you've gone back a little bit too far. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, a, that's thorough. That's right. thorough. I forgot that they did that. Yes, yes. they started with the first mm-hmm. example Locking of a door mechanisms lock. Yes. in the ancient Greek times. That's important. And I don't think they sell them at Home Depot, so I don't know why we were talking about it, but yeah. it was there. It's a good way of looking at it. Well, the, um, that'll, that'll be one of our topics one day, of course, because we can go on about that. But I guess the reason why we're doing this, why, why are we doing the show? I mean, it's a, um, it's a show for the public. Uh, there's and a lot law enforcement. and for the law enforcement and for retirees people getting into law enforcement people that have been in it for a while um i think we can relate with those that are have been in it for a considerable amount of time and i think we can certainly relate to the ones that have moved on and, and retired and maybe we can offer a little bit of insight to the new guys i feel like it's an incredibly misunderstood profession it is absolutely that's and most a, of that is media driven yes yes uh, the selective um, portrayal of law enforcement or even even the cool i mean like the show cops is a is a fun show and people who support police like to watch it but there's a lot of stuff that we do and i joke with people all the time this is the stuff they don't show on cops you know when you're just doing this like mundane silly things that are part of the job that, mm-hmm. or the way that we look at the job i don't think people understand so that's it. my, I think, goal is to try and help people see <clears throat> what 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 our thoughts are. Yeah. Or our thoughts on after leaving law enforcement and uh, looking back. And we still kind of handle ourselves as police officers. I know I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking, the, you know, if you see me in a restaurant, I've probably got my back to the door. And uh, I'm always carrying a weapon. Always. And uh, I do. That's just the way I think, even as a businessman. Well, and I think that there's still something about, you know, they say it's a calling. And um, whether you're an active police officer, retired, reserve, whatever it is, I think there's something about, you know, in our in all three of us that would prompt us to take action in situations like that, regardless of your commission status. Right. So um, it is a calling, but... Uh, we are going to try to get a little bit of a structure to it. We're going to have some topics each time. Not sure how this is going to evolve, but everything starts at, at square one. So, you know, this is the first one. We'll just see how it goes. We wrote down some topics, and the first thing we want to talk about is social media. Everybody's favorite Everybody's favorite topic to talk about. It's, um, it's a really useful tool if you need to get, you know, wanted people out on blast. It's really useful for that, but what are the effects that social media have had on law enforcement uh, and on law enforcement officers? I mean, well, showing a, a, a small portion of a video uh, of an officer striking someone, uh, a lot of times, I'm not saying every officer is correct in doing so, um, but what they what most of them do not show is what occurred be- right before that punch was thrown or kick or whatever happened. Mm-hmm. And they just send it and... Uh, or edit it and send it. Right. Uh, and uh, next thing you know, CNN or your local news channel, uh, their investigators are on it. And 
and it, even if it, to find that the officer was correct and seeing the whole video, they do not come back and apologize or nobody does they ever do no. should there be some should people be held accountable for that should there be uh, an avenue for an officer to file a civil suit against someone who falsely or incorrectly portrayed them of course i mean you know we've, we've talked about that before in talking about citizens trying to protect property through force and trying to explain to them because a lot of them don't realize the way that we do that when you do get involved in a use of force take somebody's life there's a huge legal process that follows that to include a civil suit um i remember watching a documentary years ago about a i think it was a bank robbery in los angeles mm -hmm. and they were in full kevlar right. with oh, yeah. uh 100 round magazines or something on their ar-15s and back then law enforcement couldn't carry anything but shotguns and pistols well, they and, had before, but they had taken them away a few years before that. Right. And so I watched the whole documentary, and something like 3,000 rounds were fired through that whole scene. Um, and the, the bad guys were fleeing. First bad guy ends up killing himself. Second bad guy tries to carjack a guy. And old man took his keys when he ran from his pickup truck. And by then, SWAT's there, and they've commandeered an armored car to try and get close. And they realized he had no kevlar from the knee down and they shot him i think it was like 20 something times from the knee down and then another thing people don't understand about law enforcement is we're responsible for the safety of everybody on the scene including ems and fire and we sometimes lock the scene down while we clear the area and make sure that nobody's there um, before we clear in ems for care of the suspect and he ended up dying. He ended up bleeding out. And the amount of time it took them to figure out what their scene was to secure that area to clear an EMS. And his family sued um, wrongful death um, against the law enforcement agency. I don't remember what agency it was. I think it was LAPD. LAPD, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So wrongful death. This this guy robbed a blank bank and, and they, shot. Yeah, they probably got something. They settled. Yeah. thousand rounds at law enforcement and civilians injured both. And he was, yeah. Well, I think any any shooting death from a law enforcement officer, they're going to sue. Uh, and they don't all sue, but a lot of them do. And even if you have a crystal clear video of the subject doing what he's doing or she's doing, uh, they sue. And it's unfortunate that some do pay out a lot of money. Um, if you can prove that the officer was acting in good, I mean, he, he's being shot at or being approached with a weapon that it, it takes a firearm to take care of that situation. Um, it's kind of sad that they have to pay out that money. And now I can see maybe taking care of the kids. Cause I do believe that if I read this correctly, that their children are also taken care of. And to a certain extent, if they're a certain age, you know, so by the state, but, I mean, I think that's the part of what's changed today from when from when I started is that, and I think we've talked about this before, that when we started, you know, as long as you were trying to do the right thing and honest about what you did right. and what was going on and, and you don't exaggerate anything, you keep it as clearly as you can, that, that you'll be fine. And that's just not the case anymore. Yeah, there was always this assumption that everyone knew police are not perfect, they're human beings. 
the you're making a decision in a really high pressure, well, difficult situation of, of legal right. before you even pull the trigger. Your mind is is uh, going 100 miles an hour, you know. And it's take the uh, Atlanta police officer for instance. His training told him to do what what he needed to do. Uh, you you take the uh, one step above on the ladder, and he did what he had to do to protect his other officers and himself. And um, and then the media took over including the mayor in that town. Mm -hmm. So they convicted him from the podium that night or the next day. And that's another one of the problems with social media is you get false information running around uh, or incomplete information running around, and people will convict you without giving you the benefit of the doubt. Um, so I think Darren it, Wilson was like the, the premium example of that. He was cleared in every single investigation that was done. Yep. Um, every autopsy that was conducted. Everything came back yeah. that he it was a good shoot. It was a good shoot, but his life was ruined. He's done. He'll never be a police officer again. Not just that. He was a newlywed, and he was having death threats and had to go into hiding and all of that. And, and unfortunately, and I remember situations when I was on patrol or was most specifically in detectives where I was in a situation, and instead of just addressing the situation. This and, is the Ferguson and, incident? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, my, my experience was I was in this situation, I realized that I was probably in the presence of someone who had warrants and they were obviously concerned about it because of their behavior. And instead of just reacting the way that I normally would have, try to read the situation, read the person, what should I do, what are my dangers, all of that, I started thinking about what would be the legal process. Mm -hmm. Why did you why did you approach my client? Because because she was staring at you? Well, a police officer can tell your body language. Yeah, articulate the, the sixth sense. Articulate to a jury. How am I going to articulate to this jury why I came to this person? But instead of just addressing the situation I was in, in my mind, while I'm assessing where I can take, you know, concealment or cover, I believe that she had a gun the way that she was behaving. She, We were at a pawn shop, and she was being very aggressive with staff when I walked in and I was a detective, didn't have a vest or anything on, just a, a gun and, and handcuffs. And so as I walk in, she caught my attention. I walked down to the end of the counter. I'm there to try and look at some jewelry that was pawned that was part of a theft case I was working. And she downshifted quite a bit when she realized that I was a cop and that I was there. And she was staring at me very aggressively while I was talking to the manager. And so I kind of lost sight of her for a moment. And when I looked back, I realized she had a small purse and she had her hand in her purse fully. She wasn't looking for anything. She wasn't fishing around for chapstick or anything. Right. She clearly had her hand on something in the purse. And again, started talking to the manager. And when I looked back, I realized she had put the purse on crossbody, still had her hand down in it and was staring at me. And in my brain, I thought, she's got a warrant. She thinks I'm here for her. I'm not. She thinks someone called you there. Right. Right. And so she's trying to figure out if she needs to shoot me. And I'm trying to figure out what I need to do in this situation. I'm not here for her. She's made herself right. an issue for me at this point. But what if things went south and I'm on the stand... And they're saying, what was your legal reason for approaching my client? Instead of really addressing what we're, what we're dealing well, with. Well, they almost take away that sixth sense. Right. Yes. To where, how do you know that, you know? Yep. 
and as human beings, we understood that there was a situation there before you walked in. And uh, as a as a true police officer, I say true police officer, someone that's a good police officer would ag- acknowledge that in your own mind that there was a problem before I walked in here, and she's it. What is it? It's something 90-some-odd percent of communication is nonverbal. Right. And, I mean, anybody who's been through effective communications, they teach you that. Right. That trust what you're what you're being told by the rest of your senses right so i didn't i didn't approach her i finished what i was doing i kept sight of her i kept sight of other customers in the store um so that if we did a shooting did happen i knew where everyone was um where would be the best direction to aim all that sort of things um when i left the store one of my business was done she i went and got in my car put my case file on the seat i look up and she's standing in the doorway Looking out the looking at me, seeing if you're on the radio, seeing if I'm radioing it in. Mm-hmm. And I, and the exact day that that was happening, a local police officer was found guilty for a shooting in mm. the area that happened. I remember that. And and it was just in my brain. Instead of just focusing on my situation, in my brain, I'm thinking. How is this going to play out in court? How is this going to play out in That's social media? How, how is this going to play out? in everything would you say it's that's that's also how we get killed that's exactly right the, right the hesitation. Cause now I've lost focus because right. now i'm worried about yeah your gut feeling you're taking it's taking a back seat to okay what am i going to say on the stand what am i going to say to the, the first attorney that shows up and it shouldn't be in your brain in that right. moment in yeah. that moment your safety and security and the safety and security and of everybody you're around you're is training. what we should you're be training. doing you're training you've been through hundreds of hours of training and uh, not to mention uh i think it is a there's a select few that join law enforcement that are good cops and that that tells you right there that that uh, your gut feeling you were right well i found out later i was right i called the store later that day because if she did end up pawning the tv she was trying to pawn she would have had to present her driver's license mm-hmm. so i called back to try and get her id and they said she didn't end up selling it so they didn't end up getting her id i also called a guy that does our top 10 that was familiar with all of our active warrants um gave a description tried to see if he knew any, if he could find anything nothing two weeks later guess who's on the top 10 her there she was there she felony was felony theft so you know we know that's a danger when we walk into any place in uniform or as identifiable as a police but officer it also brings up another topic when do you walk away you know when do you is it uh if we do this right here how many people are, are in danger i could push it further yeah. Uh, but I might wait. I'm going to go out in the parking lot. If she comes out there and wants to engage me, then we've got just two people in the parking lot. We still have to worry about the walls. At the, but it eliminates some of the casualties that may occur if you were to get it in a shootout. And that thought process has been around since before social media. So, I mean, a, a good officer makes that, that call. They right. come up and they look at it and they say, okay, well, we can handle this a different way. Right. Um, it's when the suspect takes an action. And then there's supposed to be a reaction from the officer. There's a it's a, there's a delay now because of the de-escalation. You, we all I think for a while, or for as long as I've been in law enforcement, I would try to de-escalate if I could. I think all of us at the table. Well, it all especially on what her first action is. And we're all well. Older the only action I had was staring at me with your hand in a purse. You that's know what, what I mean? Saying. Right. What I'm do you do? Her yeah. situation. That, oh, I thought you meant any situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But like that situation in, in particular, um, 
Do, do you feel like you could have posted that story online? Oh, no. To tell people about it? Oh, absolutely On social not. media? Oh, absolutely not. You think there would have been some uh, some backlash on that? Of course. It's on a, both sides. Yeah, on both sides, from both because sides. Because what I thought in my in my mind was the defense would say, if I say, well, she was staring at me, well... It's not illegal to stare. It's not illegal to scare her. She, she's scared of police officers because something happened to her brother, yep. you know, whatever, son... So, you know, you're, you're playing out this scenario in your mind of how it would all run out in court and how it would all run out on the media and how it would run out on social media when, again, we've lost focus of being in the moment and trying to assess the danger and trying to figure out what to do as a police officer in this moment. What action has she taken? Is she putting anybody else at risk? No, she's worried about me. Mm-hmm. And the minute I'm out of this scenario... She's fine. She's fine. So do I escalate... Or do I walk away? And if she wants to follow me into the parking lot, then we can deal with that. But I need more of an action on her part, I felt like at the time, than staring at me and what I knew in my heart to believe she had her hand on a gun. Probably. Trying to decide if she needed to kill me. And, and I think that as a, as a good officer, um, that thought process would have existed whether social media was around or not. Because you are thinking co- constantly thinking about the people around you, the people outside, and going home to your family. And is it really worth it? Don't poke the bear. Right. Sometimes it's not your turn to care. Right. So. But the social media and, and, and the media itself um, and the fear, I think that a lot of people have of, of you know, backing a police officer in a controversial situation you know i I don't think most cops have any expectation that anybody will be in their corner no even though it's required by law that if an officer summons you to assist them you you're supposed to to help you're supposed to comply but uh, i think maybe in our in certain areas of our county that we live in i think that it might be a little bit better than other counties without a doubt but still you still have the the phone the, the, the iPhones and the, the, they're just wanting to record and their their high is to get it out on f- social media. Yep. But I've always done my job and I've had other officers complain to me that, well, they were recording me. They had their phones so? out and I said, you should be doing your job mm-hmm. as though you're on tape 24-7. There should be nothing you that are. you're doing. Usually you are, exactly. Of course. Whether you're in the gas station or in your car or pulling somebody over, you're on video. Of course. So it's, I've it's, never had an issue with that. Um, I've no, always I, responded with what we're recording to. Right, but I like my sources. I like my video because I know right. my agency can get the whole video. I like the gas station video because my agency can get that whole video, usually. But who will play it? But Well, that's that, the news won't, I can no. tell you that, usually, unless it looks bad. But the, you know, the iPhone carriers, the, the, your Android carriers that are recording you, you're going to get a six-second snippet, and who knows? So... Um, we'll we'll move on to our uh, our second topic, which is a good segue. Is that you know we we talk about media, social media. We talk about these situations, but uh, one thing we want everybody to realize or to to know about us is that we don't think that law enforcement as a career as a a job is bad. It's not it's not bad. It wasn't bad. We all had a great time. Kenton and I had a great time. Amber's still having a great time. I have a lot of fun. I work in a jail environment most of my day, and I. You know, I tell people, they ask me if I'm scared. And I said, well, criminals are pretty social people. They don't want to work. They they hang out. They party. 
So they're actually pretty easy to talk to. Yeah, most of them, if you treat them with a little bit of respect, there's no problems. No. Well, we, we, we like, um, I liked my job a lot. And um, I know you did too. We had a lot of fun on night shift. Yep. In the most heavily populated, heavily traveled, um, and probably the busiest district, two districts in our county. Um, if we found you that night and you ran, we usually caught you. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. And you and I have a very similar attitude where, when it comes to finding criminals. You know, yep. we hear that there's a, I mean, then that guy, he murdered his wife or something in Dallas, and you and I sat on the freeway until he drove by? Yep. Um, I mean, yep. we've, I, mean uh, I think it was a former officer. He he told me about it, and we we sat at Luby's and put our lights or, you know, I think I had a trainee with me and, uh, he drove by. Yep. And it was a pretty, uh, it was a, uh, what name brand? Nissan. It was like a Nissan Pathfinder or something like that. Like it was SUV. Version, yeah. Whatever that smaller version was, Xterra or something like that. Xterra. Yeah. And, uh, it was silver, mm-hmm. you know? So how many of those go by at one right, o'clock in the morning? Right. And he went by. Yep. And we got him. Got him. I was never lucky with those kinds of things. We used to we do would, that all the I time. I would block the freeway for a pursuit, and I'd be blocking the entrance ramp, and he would exit right behind me. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, we we had a lot of we had a lot of that. We had a lot of fun doing this job. There's a lot of brotherhood. There's a lot of you know. Military people can certainly relate to this, but there's a lot of trust. There's a lot of. Uh, camaraderie especially when you're with somebody you put your life in their hands and you do that over and over and over again and you develop a bond and you develop a love for a job that uh it has to evolve obviously Mm -hmm. law enforcement has to evolve we don't we don't drive you know cars to the nearest phone booth to call in to find out if there are any calls in our area we have radio i think what's interesting on the brotherhood aspect is that you know you there is a brotherhood but then at times you do get irritated with each other sure and so brothers somebody <laughs> says something that ticks you off or you're just having an off day with each other. And and then you have a moment where I remember years ago I had a sergeant got along great, but we were just having one of those days where everything I did irritated him and everything he did irritated me. And then I think we both came as close to we had come at that point in having to kill somebody um, on a scene. It was a... A suicide with weapons um, had a person in the house that we couldn't get out because she was bedridden so it was a we were going to have to fix so the problem it was a suicidal hostage situation basically and so you know I'm in there with him we have to shut the door because of the trailer house the way it was and he told me later when you shut the door I thought okay this is it and you know obviously my voice isn't as maybe strong as his so I let him do all the verbal commands and I just was watching my sights and if this guy comes out with the knife that he says he has I'm gonna focus on my job we ended up getting him under control he complied we did an emergency detention order on him and we got back to the office and we've spent the first eight and a half nine hours of the shift bickering and we just had a big reset button let's think about what we're doing when it could have been you notifying his wife or your husband mm-hmm. that you were gone. But those resets, I think, do a lot to really, if you do forget, 
because police work can get to be a little bit of a grind sometimes, run the calls, take the reports. But when you do have those big reset moments, you're like, okay, wait, I might have to die for you. Right. You may need to die for me. And if I screw up, it's pretty big consequences. I think that's why uh, he and I uh, got kind of close and uh, I trusted him. Um, I think I could call him with a problem. He could call me with a problem or I screwed up or he screwed up or not necessarily screwed up, but, you know, how do we address this? You know, we're not looking for a lie. We're we're looking to how can I explain this in a way that – that uh, where it's truthful, but at the same time, I need some more. And that's what I would call him all the time. Say, hey, man, you know, this is ha- this is what happened. I'm not looking for a lie. I'm not looking to bend the rules or anything. But I want to apply it to paper the way it should be, and uh, or any chases stuff like that. That's why we became close. Is because I I I, I started trusting him. He started trusting me. We never went against each other behind closed doors when they weren't there or when he nope. wasn't there nope. or I wasn't there. And that's where uh, I trusted James Barber uh, more than most. So. Well, and, I, and for the record, you never had to say the words, I'm not looking for a lie. Right. We, that is another th- reason that we get along really well is that you and I, we don't lie. Right. We don't talk behind each other's backs. Right. And... Um, there's there's a word that it almost seems like that it's referred to as a toxic word now, but I feel like we're very honorable men. I think so too. And um, I know that that you're honorable. I know I can call you and ask you something, and that I'm going to get the truth. Right. And uh, I know I could call you at two a.m. and if you're able to drive, you'll you'll come get well, me. Well, <laughs> if it says Barbara or, or, or Amber, I'm answering the phone. You yeah. know, if it's uh, like the phone call I got the other night, uh, I probably won't answer the phone. Yeah. But, um, so, <laughs> um, but it's certainly going to answer the phone for you two and uh, those types of situations that we were in and those types of situations that I've heard that you, you've been in with, you know, whoever is what um, you, you gain my respect. So, And it's not just with those of us that are close friends. I mean, you could be on a scene with the biggest dipshit in the, at your department. Right. You're there together. Right. And you've got to work through this. You've got to come out the other side of it. And, you know, you, you still have that guy's back and he's got your back. Right. You, you could have totally polar opposite views on everything, political, religious, educational, everything, and still go into this situation and handle business, be right. a professional. Right. And uh, that's one of the things that I really did like about, about law enforcement. And I've tried to bring that to my new businesses as well, is that, that sense of family, that sense of brotherhood. And we all have a job to do. Right. So. And I, I think a lot of people are afraid to be as honest as honest cops are. Um, I remember, like, for instance, when I first started uh, in the jail and we do a suicide screening, and I would listen to people just flat out say, are you going to kill yourself? How are you going to do it? What would you use? And I thought, wow, that really? That's how we do that? And it it's 100% the way to do it. Mm-hmm. You, you 100% can be completely honest with somebody and expect a forthright answer or mm-hmm. at least start them down a path where you can maybe read what's going on. But I think a lot of people are afraid to be as brutally honest as we are with each other, with the public. Unfortunately, you have to ask really tough questions and you can't be afraid to tell the truth. And I think a lot of other industries, that's not 
the way they do business. Mm -hmm. But it absolutely has to be the way you do business in law enforcement. You have to be able to say the absolute bitter truth and say it as kindly as you can Mm -hmm. in, in some situations. But I think that's part of what I enjoy about cops is that we are brutally honest mm-hmm. about all sorts of things that other people would be shocked to hear us talk about. But when you're in somebody's bedroom on a family violence, mm-hmm. talking about what they were fighting about. and Sometimes it's abrasive to them if you ask them a certain question. And, 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 and they think you're prying. I think sometimes think you're being nosy. And I would explain it to people as... If you're fighting with your husband because he's bought yet another stupid thing off of Amazon, that's a different level than if he's sleeping with your sister. Mm-hmm. Right? We're talking about levels of anger. So, another dumb yeah. Amazon purchase. I've been on that scene, by the way. You, right. Usually doesn't escalate to gunfire. But would you have bought what he bought? Or uh, was it the other one? It was the other one. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, uh, one thing that we've kind of kicked around and, and haven't really come right out and say it is that uh we do believe or at least i'm speaking for you guys but uh uh, i'm sure that i'm correct in this that most police officers the vast majority of police officers are good honest cops and they come out here to do this job the job is not easy so we do hope that there is a little bit from the public of uh benefit of the doubt you know at least before you know all the facts don't immediately jump onto the officer did something wrong. Uh, most cops are good cops, and nobody wants a bad cop out of law enforcement faster than good cops. Absolutely. And, and you, you would think that after the last 10 years of media, law enforcement normally understands that the media is not going to tell the whole story. Mm-hmm. Um, but the public doesn't think know. that. Exactly. But after the last 8 to 10 years, you would think that even the public would understand that to step back, at least, especially the last four or five years, to take a step back and say, uh, wait, listen, I'm not going to get online and, and blast this article or, or blast this officer. I'm going to wait to see what happens. They still, a lot of them still do not wait, but some do, I think. I think that it has. I think you're right. There's a pretty probably a pretty good split. Some people wait, but I think some people think they are victorious, that, you know, all these changes in law enforcement and defunding the police was successful and that it was uh, – you know, oh. they're still living in that world that yeah. we, we actually changed something. And Well, a uh, lot of people, when they post that article, that video, that they've got some from someone else, that's their high. They're getting, atten- they're getting attention. You see and, what I'm and, saying? Oh, yeah. And we'll go, uh, I'll go on record right now and tell you that uh, I would bet my next paycheck that the person that's posting that video or that article that says this officer, blah, 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 has never carried a gun for their community or for their country. Or they don't know an officer as a friend. Nope. They don't have one in their family. They have no insight into, true insight into the profession. And if they do, they don't talk. Yeah. So, yeah, my uncle's a cop. Well, do you ever talk to him? No. You know? Then you can't say that. Right. Then you can't use that as your Absolutely. as your qualifier. Well, and I think it's kind of become the cool thing. That's what I'm saying. To be anti-police. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, That's their attention. That's yes. their, uh, their drug of choice at that moment is to get that high from blasting this police officer for doing what he would or she had to do. And um, I, I actually had an incident with a, a family member, um, somewhat distant family member, um, young guy posted something on social media about F the police, I blah, blah, blah. And I sent him a private message and said, don't forget 
I'm a police officer and I've loved you since the day you were born. Oh, I know. I don't mean you. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, and I'm like, well, that. when you put it out there, yeah. you do mean me. You yep. called me Hitler. To you specifically or to yes. law enforcement? To me and law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And I've known him since he was a baby. We have since hugged it out. But uh, it was a horrible thing to say to me. Even though I may be a, abrasive sometimes, uh, the worst suspect will get my respect until he, you know, chooses to to not well and it hurts it hurts more whenever it's somebody that's in your family or somebody from i mean you expect that a criminal there's a potential that a criminal is going to try to hurt you right but when you're talking about family members you don't really expect for your family member to be talking shit about the police you really don't well and just to see it blasted all over the news yeah um i don't think that people understand or care in some instances what you go through to become a police officer what you sacrifice in your in your everyday life because you're a police officer. Because one of the things I remember in the academy is if you ever do anything wrong and you get into trouble, it's no longer going to be Amber did this. It's going to be deputy so-and-so of the such-and-such sheriff's office did this. And suddenly that becomes your identity publicly. Well, that's what happens. And so... Well, it, be, it, it creates a national thing too. I mean, right. it's just not Amber now. Yeah, it, it affects all police exactly. Right. Every all badge police are this way because of this this one thing. And I think that the last ten years, uh, I think since the Ferguson mm-hmm. incident, uh, and then I think locally the biggest one that I found hurtful just sort of when it first happened until we realized until we understood what had happened was the Goforth incident down in Harris County mm-hmm. where he was shot in the back of the head at a gas station for absolutely no reason and it created an environment where you drove around and you have a normal sense of your own safety that you have to be aware of as a police officer but it changed into it was almost a sport you felt like people wanted to shoot you be- right if they could get you, then that's great. And right. how yeah. hurtful that was. And I saw it. And even, even some of my supervisors who, when we would talk about safety in the public would break down crying, um, just hurt that people have totally misunderstood what we're trying to do and, and what we've sacrificed and what our family sacrificed for this job. Um, I think that it's sad. And I don't think that, I don't think most people understood or understand how hurtful that has been for law enforcement officers nationwide so that you have such a hatred for me because of the uniform and because of the misconceptions isn't when you paint an entire set of people with one brush don't they frown on that usually especially if you're a police officer painting a group of people with the same brush i mean i always felt that it was very hypocritical for the people who cry that you know police are uh, racist to also be the ones shouting the loudest that all cops are the same. Right. So knowing all of this, if you were 22 years old, fresh out of the military, would you join police work today if you knew everything that you know today? I think I would. You um, think you'd do it again? I think so. And that's how that's, – that's where my heart was when I was four or five years old. Um, now, had I learned if it was if I grew up today, I may not. But if I could go back, I wouldn't change it. No, I, I'm, I'm not talking about when you joined. I'm talking about if you could if you were 22 years old today's in 2022. No, today's environment. I probably wouldn't, and, and it only because of 
Uh, they didn't. They it, it seems that they do not have the backing that we had when we first started. Does it make it harder for us? I mean, I'm sure that if you had to do it over again and start over fresh right now, in 2022 with all of the foolishness, you'd think about it. You'd have to think about it. I don't think I would start um, right now. I don't know. I I probably wouldn't. I think the way that for me the biggest part, and this sounds like completely cliche, but making a difference in somebody's life yep. like that part yes. of it That's that the, that ability mm-hmm. that power to be put in a situation where well, somebody's in a crisis mode exactly right yeah. i mean the driving fast the chasing people that all of that's fun but the things that i've always cherished the most was the possibility of changing someone's life and i still take that into account today when i'm working in the jail and i'm i'm dealing with inmates you might change their I life for the conversation to, i try to Absolutely. talk to them about their choices and and what's going on in their life and and you know sometimes they'll ask me to pray for them and i'll tell them that i will and i do mm-hmm. um that part i don't know like so you have the bad part of you could be vilified and lose everything you've worked your whole life for over a cell phone video that misconstrued a bad situation that you were in that looked like you maybe might have done the wrong thing even if you didn't and suddenly you've lost everything you work for or having the opportunity to be put in a position and to have a job where you can make a difference in someone's life that completely changes their life. I don't know. I, I joke that I wouldn't do it. Yeah, well, I, joined, well, I think we all do. Part of me, though, the, is where I'm from mm. is why I was a police officer. And uh, there was a lot of drugs. There was a lot of good people. But there was a lot of uh, bad people involved as well. And uh, I always wanted to be a police officer. I me never too. Wanted, I had no vision other than being but a police we officer. grew up when it was an, a completely respected sure profession yeah. and it's just not now and i'm so shocked that i see all of these young people getting into it and i'm thinking they they so 10 years ago they were 11 years old so they've grown up in this environment where this is this this portrayal of police officers and yet they still choose to go that path that's pretty admirable to me yeah it uh, it definitely is um real quick on what you were saying i used to say that there's no better feeling in the world than truly helping someone who really actually needs help right a true victim a true victim of a crime or catching a really really bad person that needs to be put in prison needs to go away and i ran the calls and i tell young people who i see going into the academies i tried to run every call as though my mom called nine one one. I would want me to show up at that scene. That's how I tried to run that call. Um, and I tell young people that when when you get there, and we've all run the calls. They called nine one one, but when you get there, it was no big deal. Mm-hmm. They, oh, I don't know why he called. It was okay. No, something was happening bad enough in that moment mm-hmm. that made them call nine one one. Let's get to that. Let's cut through all this other nonsense. Let's get to that. And so I'll tell people that. Run the call like your mom called. Mm-hmm. That was my message to the troops almost every night when we had our shift meeting. That's somebody's mother. That's somebody's daughter, somebody's dad, son. No matter if he's a suspect or a victim, uh, everyone deserves respect until they, you, they prove otherwise. Until they show you they can't handle and, and, it. And nobody's blank. Everybody's got a story. Everybody's got a past. What Absolutely. kind of day did they have yesterday? <clears throat> who in their family has passed on, you know, whatever. Something has happened with and these people. And that goes from being in a trailer house to a mansion. Yep. Mm-hmm. So no one's treated, I mean, and then you have the cultural things where you have to, you know, 
you have to be mindful of those types of things that that, yes. uh, that might offend someone. Yeah, that's why we take cultural home. diversity training and right. things like that is so that you can be mindful of that stuff. Right. I mean, it's we joke, we all joke like, you know, oh, I'm glad I'm out of that damn job and uh, you know, I wouldn't do it again, but I think that the core of all of us is that we want to. Yep. We want to be able to do that job and I know for well, I actually y'all are the two oldest ones at the table. I'm the I'm the younger really? one here, but that we're doing. But I think that he and I found an avenue to hair. escape. I say escape. <laughs> he and I found an avenue to move on and up right. and to, to put ourselves and our family in a place where we're not worried about our safety anymore for the most part. Right. That we were able to build a, a better financial position for ourselves. And, um, and so would I trade this for that? Absolutely not. But if I were 18 or I mean 22 years old and thinking about getting into law enforcement and I didn't have a career yet and I didn't have something else lined up. Oh, you can do it at 18. You can start in jail as a civilian jailer well, at 19. 18. I think it's 19 Is it 19? Jail. It's young. It's, it's young. It's young. And by, by the way, people should start in the jail. I uh, did not start in the jail. 100% agree. I did I not too. start in the jail, but I also can't tell you where AQUAD is. I have no idea. <laughs> I could not tell you where that is. Yep. Um, in fact, I think for the first... Probably for the first year, I didn't know where the hell main control was. Walking right past it <laughs> every day for a year. Yep. And, well, not every day, but, you know, for I a year. I worked it a couple of times myself. I hated it. It's, I felt like it was Charlie Brown's teacher. Yeah. 360 degrees. Voices <laughs> coming from every speaker. <laughs> yes, and you can't understand any of them. Yeah. And they're all mad at you. And they're all mad at you. <laughs> yes. You going to open this or what? And you but, could I open mean, the wrong door. <laughs> yeah. so, so why is it a good idea to start in the jail? So when I started in the jail, and probably when you started in the jail, we started, we did a couple of days of orientation, and then boom, you're on the floor working with inmates. They don't do it that way anymore. What they do now is they hire them, do the background check, and then they uh, go through all of the testing, and you get your jailer's license right off the bat. And they sit at a computer and they do all these modules and they take all these tests and, and you don't actually start really interacting with inmates until you've actually worked there a couple of weeks. So do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? So I see both sides of it. Um, I think it's a bad thing. Well, so legally, I think it's probably a good thing because now they know the rules. They know constitutional rights. They understand Texas jail standards. Okay, yeah, I see. All of those things. And so the that, liability that, for the agency is probably reduced quite a bit, too. Right, liability, all that. So now instead of we didn't know what we were doing and we were working the quads mm -hmm. and we were dealing with inmates and we kind of were just trying to do the best we could while well, we, while that, we yeah. learned the process, the other side of that is um, kind of maybe the same thing for nurses is like you, you go through all this training. So if you didn't work in the jail and you just went to a police academy, and now you go to your first really gnarly call and you're like, holy crap, what did I get myself into? Or an RN that goes through years and years of college and passes the tests and then is in the hospital and dealing with this completely nasty situation, this right. person is bad. So on one hand, it's good because now you, you, don't, you haven't invested a lot of your time. You haven't invested a lot of money. The agency hasn't invested a lot of money, especially the way we were trained right. back, back then. We just started on the floor mm -hmm. dealing with inmates. Right. And so pretty quickly when you're standing in a tank for me standing in a tank of 40 24 men who are saying all sorts of things about me um it's scary when you first start mm -hmm. so we do have lots of people that go out to their parking go out to the parking lot to get something out of their car and never come back mm -hmm. because they yeah. realize nope. I'm nope, out. nope i don't know what this is what i'll do go you think the turnover radius is it is it that first few weeks or is it the first year 
after they've got the actually and when you're talking about jails across the board it's it's kind of throughout because it's hit or miss I, I've, I've never worked in the jail but i've heard that there's a lot of drama that can happen uh in the jail because you're just in there with these people all the time not talking about with the inmates and with your co-workers whereas when you're on patrol you can get in a patrol car you may not see a co-worker for two days it's right. certainly and if you're in a bad city. mood that day right. you can just Captive go city yes if you're in a bad mood on patrol you can just go do your own thing that day you had a fight with your spouse that morning and you don't want to deal with it you right. can go, go getting under a rock in the jail it's a petri dish you know mm-hmm. you're you're all intermingling with each other all day long. There's no nowhere to run, nowhere it's to hide. It's a small town crammed into that building. That's yeah. what it is. So I mean, uh, we, we house like uh, about a jail. thousand people. There's a lot of turnover in the jail. There both is, one but year it, it's a really five, weird job for a 19-year-old kid to do, to start to understand, especially they come from a sheltered background or, or you know, a well, pretty... Uh, well, so is traipsing through the jungle with a rifle. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty strange job for an 18, 19-year-old, but they well, do it. Well, that also brings in the concern of where where is our youth coming from and mm-hmm. who's, who's teaching them at home. And, and I'm not saying you should teach them to, to, to no bloodshed or, or anything like that, but you have to you can't shelter open kids. some doors yeah. and let them see some of the, the bad things that occur. Do we think law enforcement's going to be okay with this new generation of kids that are coming out? It's going to have to be. <laughs> that's the best answer I've heard. It has to be. Well, it's... I think as generations change, so I used to teach um, self-defense class to women, and as a as a woman growing up, I was, as a little girl, I was taught, you know, the guys are stronger than you are, and you need to, you know, be nice, or they could hurt you, things like that, and, and I remember my first couple of uh, use of force situations where I was one-on-one against a man, I was shocked at how much stronger I was than the guy, right. and I used to tell the women, these are not the men of our grandfather's generation that worked and had hands of steel. These guys are on Xbox all day and they're not terribly strong anymore. Some are, of course. Um, but with, but with the right officer, kind of training, you can pretty much yeah. do what you need to do. If you even go to the a gym female enough or know enough maneuvers. Yeah, mm-hmm. you absolutely can. And your adrenaline's pumping a little bit, you mm-hmm. know, um, so. And you've got experience, you know, like you were saying, when you do, when you teach self-defense, you've got a little bit of experience to keep your mind in the game to be able to maneuver. Whereas a turd who probably has maybe had one fight in his entire life doesn't have that experience to do that and just kind of acts, you know, but you, illogically. That, that mindset, though, is not taught, I don't think. Uh, it's it's learned. Uh, you can teach anyone you mean stand cool and under a yeah you can you can teach community oriented policing you can read it in a book but do you apply it in your own life and 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 i think it's always been in my heart community oriented policing in your heart is where it starts because right. then you don't if you had it in your heart making people take the class is not necessary right it's just the way you are it's the way you go out and, and you approach it, the world if the vibe from your leader and i'm not pinpointing any agency is community-oriented policing, it comes from your heart, not a textbook. I mean, you can write things down, you can read it, mm-hmm. but uh, if you have to learn it that way, you're doing it wrong. But I think that we, we act like, I think a lot of people act like community-oriented policing is like a new thing. It's To me, it's, it's not. not. It's, it's the way it's law enforcement it used to be. But now yeah. it's almost a religion with large agencies. Right, right. But, I mean, if you look at it the way that, that a police beat was taken care of back in the 40s, maybe, I mean, the cop knew 
all the shop old owners and all the locals and who the bad kids were and who the good kids were and I think a lot where of the bad places were and you knew all of that that's part though. of being your job a lot of that had to do with technology like the you know vehicles did how long have police really had cars to be able to do that and i mean now and and back then there were more police officers per capita and now you've got a district that covers how many people are in south county 300,000 yeah. 200 300,000 in south county in district 2 anyways and well, I don't know if they redrew the district lines, but uh, there's a lot, and you got maybe six deputies on for those people, and that so, depends on what type of day, time of day it is. And how are you supposed to do community-oriented policing, textbook community-oriented policing, where you're supposed to go into all these different businesses and shops and everything, when you have this stack of calls in your car, and you, it just just a matter of doing what you can to make the world a better place, a safer place. Absolutely. As a Community person. oriented policing kicks in when you, you're at the gas station, you're, mm-hmm. you see someone with a flat. Yep. Um, it, it cannot be applied to where it's, it's a textbook robotic. You must get X number of contacts situation. per day at each, you know, right. yeah, you can't make them do that. If for no other reason, and then I, I would hate to say this and I certainly am not accusing anybody of this, but, I would think that it would make some officers resentful of having to do it. Yep. You know, you're going to make me go around and and, and do this. And I, when I worked there, they never made us do that. Right. When I was on patrol, we weren't doing any of that. We, no. we I mean, but there know, are agencies there was, there was that a do. Little bit, but. I know for a fact there are agencies that do that. You must get so many community contacts per day or per whatever period. Yeah. And, and it shouldn't make the officers resentful. I mean, obviously it's a job. You're getting paid by the taxpayer, but like Kenton was saying, it's better if it comes from your heart, not from a book. Right. But there's some community policing programs that have come out that are a more positive way for the officer to interact with the public. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember. There was one something about coffee with a cop or something yeah. like that. Where they still do that a little was, bit, I think. They still do that, but who was told to be there? I don't know. I did, I'm, like I said, I left patrol before any of that if really you started. The way I always think about safety and stuff like that, if you announce something like that, uh, that you know, constable, whoever's going to be there, sheriff, blah, 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 is going to be there in a week. It just gives people time to plan for me. You know what I mean? Show up, do your thing with the coffee with a cop, and if you want to post that later, that's great. But I think posting anything or scheduling it is a dangerous way of doing it. Well, that's, I guess that's kind of back to the social media thing is that uh, it, it's it's – it's a toss-up. It's a, a double-edged sword. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, know, you, you want have to advertise it so people will show up, but at the same time, you have a safety concern a, that you're walking just, into a situation. I would rather go into a restaurant or a coffee shop that's already packed. You know, uh, you were talking about uh, a minute ago about the community-oriented policing deal and um, perspective. You were saying that some classes have actually brought a different perspective to an officer, and I will tell you that you're right about that. I had a class where... It was explained to me a different way that, uh, and I, I I feel that I have community-oriented policing in my heart. I feel like when right. I approach it that I'm, I'm approaching it like that's my grandmother or somebody's child or something. Um, but this guy that was doing this class says, we do this job for the person behind the blinds. The, the person <laughs> that's afraid in their house right. that is just kind of curious about what's going on. And they pay their taxes. They don't break the law. They go get their groceries, take their trash bins in when they're empty. Yep. They're the person behind the blinds. It's not the turd you're doing it for. Or, uh, sometimes not Absolutely. the family. It's the person behind the blind. And it did give me some new perspective. So I'm not saying that the class is bad. 
What I'm saying is it's better for the officer and better for the public if that community-oriented policing is in your heart. If your leader puts it out the way you're supposed to do things because they do it the right way, I think that's a vibe. It's kind of like a queen bee in a hive. Mm -hmm. Whatever vibe she's putting out is the temperature of that that hive. And Mm -hmm. that's true. If that hive is aggressive, it's because of her. If they're not doing well with honey, it's because of her. Yeah, something's off. So I truly believe your leaders have everything to do with applying the community-oriented policing thing. Well, that will definitely be a very interesting and maybe a show-long topic yes. for, for, another, for another episode because we, we're trying to get some structure and we're trying to get this thing uh, within a certain time limit. And, of course, we've, we go over it like we usually do, but that's fine. This is a podcast. We don't have anybody coming on after us. So, um, I really enjoy this. I do too. Uh, I plan to keep doing this and evolving this. And, uh, I think it's something that a lot of young officers need to hear because I think there's a fear to be honest, hundred percent honest about mm-hmm. what it is to be a police officer, good and bad, scary and, and fun. Um, and I think that a lot of cops feel like they don't have a voice. So maybe this is a small way to provide that. And it's nice to sit with folks that you trust, that you care about, and talk about something you've committed your life to. Well, I'll say, and I know that you two feel the same way about this, is I used to tell my guys all the time, if if you were, well, not all the time, I didn't have to say it, but if you're right and you did. When you were in a good mood. When you, when you do, if you do what you're <laughs> supposed to do and you do it within the law and within policy and you've done the right thing, I will stand by you. And, uh, and until I know one way or the other, I'm going to give my officer the benefit of the doubt. Absolutely. And I extend that message to every officer that's out there. Mm-hmm. You've got our support. Until there's uh, evidence that, you know, overwhelming evidence that something's wrong, you've got our support. We support the but police Well, you here. better be honest right from the start. But you better be honest. Don't get caught. Yep. Dude. And in the future uh, podcast, maybe we can have our – uh, email addresses and stuff like that. Maybe they can email us questions if they want to speak to a particular officer. And we can bring it up during the next one or topics, whatever. Yeah, yeah. something that they've had happen to them. So we're right. working on websites, face page, all that stuff, ways yes. to communicate. But so, for now, I don't know what our intro music was. I guess we'll find out when we edit <laughs> what the intro music was. But we'll have uh, it'll be much more professionally. Uh, finished when we do the next few as we carry on i guess possibly possibly and i think we're gonna have <laughs> so. video in the, in the future am i correct yes um i'll dress that better next time we're in a uh, well we're we're in a an office that isn't really conducive to video so i think once we get our new uh, studio room built and uh we'll put some permanent cameras in there so that we can actually have some video streaming too but um well I'm James. We are we're at the end of our hour and uh Amber. Amber and Kenton. And we appreciate everyone listening to us. If you if you like us, let us know. Send us emails when we get the address up there. Uh, if you don't, let us know. Yes, let us know. We don't mind. And uh we'll be we'll be here. This is Doored Up and thank y'all for listening. Tonight. Tonight. 1042. 1042. <laughs> <laughs>